Oh, hi, everyone. It's really nice to see you. Um, last time uh, we had Renewal, Jacinta was preaching, and she felt like she needed to confess that she'd had fish and chips before she came and that she might be a little sluggish. So I need to make the same confession <laughs> that we had fish and chips for tea. So, um, yeah, apologies. Uh, hopefully, I'll be switched on. Ah. Thankfully, God is with us. So, um, we are carrying on our series at Renewal looking at some of Jesus' incredible miracles. And um, this evening, we're going to be looking at Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So, just one of his smaller ones. (laughs) Um, It is, so yeah, we're in John... Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, if you want to turn to the passage. Um, And just while you're turning there, um, this is such a huge, rich passage. There is so much in there. Um, Oh, Philip could do a whole series just on this passage. Um, Don't worry, I'm not going to go on until midnight with a really, really long talk. Um, We're just going to try and focus in on one particular um, part of the passage, or I suppose what... um, what I really felt God was speaking to me about in preparing for tonight. Um, And that's going to be on believing in the dark moments. Um, So as as I read through it, it is really a long passage, so stick with me. Um, Let's try to tune in to what Jesus is saying in this passage about believing. Okay. Okay, I'm reading from the NIV. So if you've got a different version, it might be slightly different. Um, Okay. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That happens later on. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. I love that. I love the disciples. (laughs) They didn't get it, did they? I'd have been exactly the same. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Whew. Right, you still with me? Yeah, that was a long one. Take, that's how to take up five minutes of your preach, just reading the passage. <laughs> Okie dokes. I'm going to actually just put my timer on my clock, because otherwise I might be out of control. Okay. <clears throat> so, really long passage. We're going to start um, in the dark moment. So just come with me to the dark moment. Mary and Martha... Their brother is seriously unwell. They know he's going to die if Jesus doesn't come. So they write to him, Lord, come, come. Well, actually, they don't say come, do they? They say, Lord, he's unwell. They're expecting him to come. So we're just going to try and put ourselves in Mary and Martha's shoes for a moment. They're in a devastating situation. <clears throat> they cry out to Jesus. I think it would be reasonable to imagine they were pretty desperate for his intervention we see that they're confident that him turning up would have made all the difference. So when Mary and Martha, both of them, when they go to meet Jesus, both of them say, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. They seem to be working on the assumption that he would help them and that he would heal Lazarus. We know that they're women of faith, um, even before they saw Lazarus raised from the dead. So we've met Mary and Martha before. Um, you know, the story of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, totally in awe of him. Um, we see the exchange that Martha then has with Jesus where it just evidences her trust in him, doesn't it? He says, do you believe? And she says, yeah, I believe you're the Messiah. And that's all happening before they've seen Lazarus raised from the dead. They write to him and he doesn't come. And this is like the first confusing part of this text for me. So if we go to verses five to seven, so it says, so they've written to Jesus and it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, 
he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus loves them so he didn't rush to be with them. Have you ever read this and thought, why? Like, why? Surely the loving thing to do is just get there as quickly as you can. And I wonder what that was like for Mary and Martha, that Jesus didn't drop everything to rush to be with them in their hour of need. He was famous for his healing powers at the time. What was going on here? He didn't do what they knew he could do. Just want you to hold that thought about what it was like for Mary and Martha in that moment. We're going to come back to them. We're just going to have a little interlude. We know the glorious ending to this story, don't we? We get to read this passage as a historical text. We get to read it as with the beginning, the middle, and the end. So when we read the start of this, we're doing so already knowing the ending, that Jesus comes, he raises Lazarus from the dead. There's this incredible miracle. We see that it is as he says it is, that the illness doesn't end in death. We know the glorious ending of the story, and we know the bigger picture, don't we? We know the much bigger story, that this points to Jesus' own death and resurrection, that he's going to, he defeated death, not that he's going to, he has defeated death once and for all so that our sins can be forgiven. We also know the good work that Jesus was doing through this situation. This is the last recorded miracle in John before Jesus goes to the cross. So up until this point, the disciples had seen Jesus healing many, many people. They knew he could heal people. They knew he could delay death because all those people that he healed, right, they still were going to die just later on. But they hadn't yet witnessed him actually defy death itself. And so the bigger picture here is that Jesus was wonderfully preparing his disciples' hearts and minds for his own death and resurrection. Having seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, they could then believe that Jesus himself could be raised from the dead. And in this passage, we see that Jesus, he was really focused on his disciples believing. He talks about believing six times in this passage. There's, uh, in verse 14, um, it says, then Jesus told them plainly, he's talking to his disciples. He had to talk to them quite plainly, didn't he? I love that. Um, and he says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. And I confess that when I read that, I, oh, it just feels a bit cold, doesn't it? Like this really devastating situation. Um, and Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there um, so that you may believe. Um, and I looked back at the kind of the original Greek of this sentence, um, and there, I don't know a lot about Greek, but their sentence structure was different from ours. Um, and um, if you kind of translate it a bit more directly, it translates as um, Jesus saying, I am joying, I mean, I guess we don't have that word, rejoicing maybe, but I am joying through you that you should be believing. Jesus rejoices in our believing because it brings us life. When we believe in Jesus, it brings us life and it brings him glory. His whole exchange with Martha is about belief, isn't it? When she, when she comes to him, his whole exchange with her is about belief. He's so concerned with what she's believing in that moment. He asks her, do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? And finally, right at the end of the passage, um, just before Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, he prays to the Father and he explicitly says, you know, I'm doing this out loud so that the disciples believe that you've sent me. 
Jesus is clearly concerned with what his disciples are believing, where they're placing their trust, who their faith is in. These miracles that Jesus did, they weren't just crowd pleasers, nor were they just acts of incredible mercy, although they obviously really were that. They were purposeful in revealing Jesus as God himself, Jesus as the life and the resurrection. His purpose on earth wasn't to be a short-term fixer of suffering, though sometimes he does relieve us of our suffering. He was about the eternal. His mission on earth was to bring life. Just a chapter earlier, Jesus, Jesus says, um, John 10, verse 10, I came that they might have life, that's us, and have it abundantly. Jesus' mission on earth was to bring life. And through this miraculous raising of Lazarus from the dead, Jesus is revealing that he himself has authority over life and death. He's the giver of life. He's God. And if, just, just a little aside, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus yet, he's the author of life, the giver of life, and he wants to bring life in all its fullness into your hearts too, in the way that only he truly can. So we know the glorious ending, don't we? We can read the beginning knowing the ending. We can see the good that Jesus is working through this situation. But if we go back to Mary and Martha, they didn't have the benefit of knowing the ending like we do. They were just in the beginning of the story, hearts totally broken. And I wonder what this was like for Mary and Martha. It doesn't actually explicitly say, but I wonder where their hearts and minds went when they were left waiting wondering why Jesus seemed to not have responded to their cry for help. Maybe doubt, maybe fear, hurt, disappointment, anger. Certainly we see that some of those around them were doubting. They say, Jesus healed the blind. Like, couldn't he have healed Lazarus as well? Maybe not. Maybe Mary and Martha remained in full faith and trust in Jesus. But what about for you? What about for us? I wonder what goes through your head and through your heart when Jesus doesn't come quickly or in the way you expected or asked for. When you're in a situation where you don't know the ending, you're just stuck in the beginning. What sort of things might go through your mind? Maybe I didn't have enough faith, doubting in God's grace. Maybe he isn't able, doubting in God's power. Maybe he's testing me and teaching me something, but it just feels so cruel doubting in God's good plans and purposes. Maybe he doesn't care, doubting in his goodness. Maybe he doesn't love me, doubting in his perfect love. I wonder what we're allowing ourselves to believe when we're in our own dark moments and Jesus seems far away. Um, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of a time where just unbelief really set into my heart. Um, it was, looking back, it's like, oh, that situation wasn't that bad, but at the time, it felt really bad. Um, it was the start of the, the pandemic, when we were in that first crazy lockdown, you know, where you couldn't have anybody in, and you couldn't go out the house, apart from, like, one-hour walk, and you weren't allowed to stop. You just had to keep walking crazy times. Um, and at the time, we had a five-year-old who I was homeschooling, and a two-year-old, and a four-month-old. And our four-month-old, Florence, was not sleeping. And I know babies don't sleep, but this baby <laughs> was really not sleeping. She was, like, waking every half an hour through the night, sort of persistently. And I was so sleep-deprived, I was losing my mind, basically. Um, and so I was like, what I need to do is pray. So I'd, like, do all the things, the swaddle, the nest, the white noise, 
you know, all those things. And I'd put her down, Lord, you know how tired I am. I'm absolutely desperate. Please, will you help her to sleep? Nothing. Then the next day, I'd like, okay, better prayers this time, you know, like swaddle her up a bit tighter, put her in, you know, oh, Lord, you're merciful. I'm going to like press on your mercy button. You're merciful. Please, Lord, really need some sleep. Nothing. And this went on for like, it felt like weeks. I think it was weeks. Praying every night, Lord, start negotiating. I'll take an hour. I'll just take one solid hour, Lord. Please. Anyway, nothing, nothing. And doubt really started to set into my heart. I believed he was able. So my thought process was going, I know you can do this, but you're not. So you must be unwilling. You must be withholding. You must not love me. And that was the conclusion I reached. Actually, if God truly loved me, he'd do this for me. I am so desperate that surely the loving thing to do is to pull me out of this situation, give me some rest. Um, at the time, I had some very wonderful wise friends who um, helped me walk through this. And one of them recommended that I read God on Mute. Um, I'd really recommend it. If you feel like you're in a situation where unbelief and doubt have set in, or where you you've uh, been praying for something, you've sent your Lord come quickly prayers and nothing has happened, I'd really recommend that you re read God on Mute. It's on the, on the um, bookstall. So do take a look at it. So yeah, unbelief had really set into my heart. Um, there's a famous theologian called Calvin and he said this, he said, delay, so by that he means, you know, God just not responding immediately to our prayers. Delay should teach us that we should not read off God's love from the present state of affairs. And I wonder if you've ever done this. You know, I, I have in that example and many others. Reach conclusions about who God is or who we are to him based on the current state of affairs, based on our feelings. Oh, it just leaves us so vulnerable, doesn't it? Especially in times of trouble, just blown about by the wind of life's circumstances and our emotions. It says in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. Out of deep love for them, Jesus was concerned with the state of Mary and Martha's hearts. He was concerned with belief in him, trust in him, taking deep root in their hearts. So when times of trouble came, they remained steadfast in their trust in Jesus. He loved them, and he loves us, so he wanted them, and he wants us, to believe in him, to trust him, regardless of what's going on around him, around us. <clears throat> so how do we respond? Well, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, there, oh, that's me, I'm there right now, and believing things that are not true about God, or if you've been there before, here's the good news, okay? We can respond in confidence that we are not condemned. Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you've put your hope and your trust in Jesus, then you do not sit here condemned tonight. Jesus died for my doubts and he died for your doubts. He died for our unbelief. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins from us. He knew about our unbelief and our doubts before he saved us. It's not a shock to him. It's not a surprise. He died for our doubts and our unbelief. And that doesn't mean we'll never doubt. We're saved, but we're being saved 
at the same time. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're being made to be more like Jesus. And we have this wonderful gift of repentance. When I unraveled myself from that situation with Flo, by the grace of God, where she wasn't sleeping, I needed to repent. I'd believed stuff about Jesus that wasn't true. And there's this wonderful gift of repentance that we have that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can, we can turn away from our sin. And that, it was just simple. I just said, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for believing stuff that's not true about you. Forgive me for my unbelief and help me in my unbelief. And he loves that sort of prayer because he's passionate about our hearts believing in him. Okay. So we respond in confidence that we're not condemned. How else can we respond? We get to stick close to him when all seems lost. I love the different ways that Martha and Mary responded to Jesus. So Martha heard he was coming, ran to him. It says that she actually met him outside the village. That she didn't even wait for him to get to the village or knock on her door. She would like met him on the road. Um, she was desperate to be with her Lord and Savior in her distress, in her confusion. She threw a complaint to him, didn't she? Lord, if you'd been here, this would never have happened. Psalm 55 says, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. That's his promise. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. So we have Martha, desperate to be with her Savior, rushing out to meet him. Mary, she didn't go. She stayed inside. We don't know why. Maybe I'm totally making an assumption here. Maybe she felt hurt by Jesus' actions, disappointed, confused. Maybe she was just overwhelmed in her grief. Maybe she didn't know what to say to him. And how does Jesus respond? He asks for her. Martha goes to Mary and says, Mary, Mary, the teacher's calling for you. He initiates. He draws her out. He hasn't forgotten her. He's not offended or annoyed that she didn't rush out to meet him. He asks for her. He calls her out. The Savior of the world asks for her. When she hears this, she gets up. She responds to his call. She legs it to him humbly falling at his feet with her distress. We get to respond to Jesus calling us close. We think we're sticking close to him, but actually he's sticking close to us, which is amazing. So we get to respond in confidence that we're not condemned. We get to stick close to him, knowing that he's sticking even closer to us. And we get to be purposeful in taking hold of the promises of God. This book is so full of incredible promises that God has made to us, his children. And I just wanted to say that this isn't about being in pretend mode. So it's not about, you know, being in a difficult situation and sort of having to say, oh, but the Lord is working good through it. You know, and on the inside, your heart is just falling apart. It's not about pretend mode. In fact, Jesus hates pretend mode. That was the Pharisees, wasn't it? All the right things on the outside and hearts in a complete pickle on the inside. It's not about dismissing the pain and the suffering. Jesus knew that the pain and the suffering was real and he wept. He wept with them. But it is about knowing the promises of God. And I just want to encourage you to have a couple of promises of God that are your go-to, that you know of by heart. One of mine is from Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who love him. That's one of my go-to promises. 
take hold of them, let them root deep down into our hearts so that when life circumstances don't seem to reflect a loving God, we've got those promises rooted into our hearts. And I just want to encourage us to make those, take hold of those promises from Scripture. Sometimes God gives us specific promises into specific situations, doesn't he? He speaks afresh. And that's amazing. Um, but I think for this, we need, like, we need the living and active word in us as well as the stuff that God has spoken to us afresh. So we can respond in confidence, we're not condemned. We can stick close to Jesus, knowing he's really sticking closer to us. And we can be purposeful in taking hold of God's promises. And how did their savior respond to them, just to close? What am I doing for time? Okay. He responded in tenderness, didn't he? He called Mary out. He responded with compassion. He saw their weeping and he wept too. Jesus knew the ending of this story. He knew the bigger picture. He knew what he was about to do. I'm gonna go and raise Lazarus from the dead. But still his heart broke. His heart broke. He saw their hearts breaking and his heart broke too. So if you're here tonight in a dark situation, if you can relate to Mary and Martha tonight, or in the past, and it still feels painful, Jesus responds to us with tenderness and compassion. Shall I pray? I think I'll pray. Um, and then Sarah and everybody. Oh, she's there. You're still here, that's good. Would you like to come back? I think you're going to do a song, Sarah. Yeah, wonderful. So, um, Sarah and the band are going to lead us in a song, and I thought we could just use this time just to ask the Lord, if you feel able and you'd like to, just to come and search our hearts. Ask him to put his finger on unbelief in our hearts. He wants to tenderly and lovingly put that right, and um, by the power of his Holy Spirit, help us to um, be filled with all joy and peace in believing. Shall I pray, or do you want to pray? Shall I pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you that we come to you knowing that you're a tender and a compassionate God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that, um, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that we are not condemned, that we don't sit here condemned tonight, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you are concerned with the state of our hearts because you long for us to find life in all its fullness in you. You long for us to find joy and peace in believing. And Holy Spirit, we just want to welcome you here again tonight to say, would you come and search our hearts? Would you put your finger on unbelief in our hearts? And would you lift our eyes to see you? Lord, I pray for those who are in pain and suffering here this evening, Lord, that they would experience a tender touch of their loving Savior, that they would hear you calling them out as you did with Mary. Lord, help us to lift our eyes to you. Amen. Amen.